0: Welcome to another episode of We Don't Die where my goal is to give you evidence that although our bodies will disappear, we survive physical death. When we aren't afraid of death, we are less afraid in life. From all of these episodes, my aim is for all of us to take more risks in life, go after our dreams, be fulfilled, have great relationships, and hopefully some joy in the process. I'm your host, Sandra Champlain, author of We Don't Die, A Skeptic's Discovery of Life After Death. And today on the show, I have Nina Bingham. And let me tell you a little bit about Nina. She's a clinical hypnotherapist in Oregon and has several degrees in psychology and a master's education in mental health counseling. She's been in private practice since 2003 and has treated individuals and couples with a wide variety of mental health issues. Nina is the author of three books of poetry, a workbook called Never Enough, a recovery workbook for addictions obsessive compulsive behaviors and eating disorders. Her fifth book, scheduled for publication this year, is called Once the Storm is Over From Grieving to Healing After the Suicide of My Daughter. Nina feels her mission is to educate teens and young adults about depression and how to avoid suicide and to reach suicide survivors and those affected by mental health so they know they're not alone. Both Nina and her fiancé witnessed phenomena that happened after her teen daughter's death. And we are here today to learn more about the fabulous Nina and find out what happened that has her knowing that we don't die. Hello, Nina. Welcome to our show. Hi, Sandra. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Oh, it's my pleasure. And this is the first time we've spoken. And I'm delighted that I just went to your website, living-enlightened.com and just saw how beautiful you were. You are. Oh, thank you. Thank are. you, thank Not you so much. You are. You really are. And just based on everything I see that you're up to, I mean, you really have made your life mm-hmm. about making a difference with other people. So I really <laughs> acknowledge you for mm-hmm. that. Thank you. You want to tell us a little bit more than what I said in the introduction? You sound like you're up to a lot of things. Where in Oregon are sure. you? Sure. Sure. Well, uh, we live in Bresham, Oregon, which is a suburb of Portland, Oregon. Gotcha. I've been there not too many times, but.
1: And you uh-huh. live right uh-huh.
0: in the city or in the, um, in the sticks, so to speak?
1: No, we're actually just right outside of the city. It's about 20 minutes outside of Portland. Oh, not bad. It's a pretty metropolitan city, yeah. Not bad at all. And you're... Well, let me... Go ahead. You talk. Well, I was just going to say, you know, um, I'm really excited to talk to you um, about um, the new book that's coming out, and it's actually not coming out until 2015, but... um, the name of the book is once the storm is over from grieving to healing after the suicide of my daughter and it just tells the story of my 15 year old daughter's suicide and my journey back from what I can only describe as the dark tunnel of grief to a place of um, healing and recovery um so can my you, daughter Mariah I'm just going to yeah. jump in and no, tell you a you little too, bit about you, it you
0: know more about your story than than I do so hit it yeah
1: so the, my daughter Mariah took her life in June of 2013, so a little over a year ago, as uh, we were sleeping in the next room, and we, uh, when we discovered her the next morning, it was as if a tornado had made landfall and just shook all of us to our core. Uh, my fiancé and I were shattered, my family was devastated, and Mariah's friends were inconsolable. So... What I learned is a tragedy of this magnitude, um, the impact on the survivors is really indescribable. It's hard to put into words. But despite the pain and trauma and loss, um, despite the guilt and the shame um, that suicide survivors feel, the message of this book is that whatever storm you're facing, whatever trauma it feels like, you'll never live through. um, Not only will you survive it, but pain is really a big opportunity. Pain is the miracle that we've been waiting for because it's possible then to suddenly grow in a way that we've never grown before. That seems hard to believe, Nina, because,
0: and not that I'm not agreeing with you. I try to put myself in the mind of some people who are in a lot of pain right now that might be thinking, Mm -hmm. yeah, right, there's a gift in pain Mm -hmm. that I can't get anywhere else. Can you just say a little bit more about that?
1: Right, and that's exactly how uh, where I've been in this long tunnel of grief is um, working my way out of it. Um, I discovered a phenomenon what's known in psychology as post-traumatic growth, and so you know I can talk a little bit about my experience with that. So, in other words, the idea here is that miracles sometimes come wrapped in suffering, and so for me, the pain forced me to begin sort of digging deep spiritually and. Um, I went through a spiritual awakening. Um, It's sort of the pain pushed me into enlightenment. And when I say enlightenment, I'm not saying I'm some kind of voodoo or guru or something. It just means that I came to a surrendering of my own will. Sort of that egoic part of me had to admit that this was more pain that I could, you know, process. This was something out of completely out of my control. And while I would never wish this on anybody, Um, This experience at the same time, grief—it's the hardest gift. I'd never give it to anyone on purpose. But whether you—you know—whether we see it now or not, pain is kind of the soul's big opportunity uh, to break free of old ways of relating to other people and even how we perceive ourselves. Yeah, Nina, I'm going to just
0: interrupt just for one second. I'm having a mm -hmm. little bit of trouble hearing you. You, You—you fade in and out. And I don't oh, okay. know if it's a matter of the phone. And what I want to do is just call you okay. right back and then I'll edit that part. Okay. I mean, we'll still go with everything okay. that you said, but I just I just think we're going to try for a little bit clearer. You don't have to okay. repeat anything, but hang on a second. Okay, call you right back. Okay, okay.
1: Well, so when I'm talking about healing, um, healing doesn't mean that we're not damaged by the pain. I mean, I'll never 100% recover. I'll never be the person that I was. Um, It just means that you don't allow the damage to monopolize your life. Um, And so, you know, I heard somebody say one time, once an inner transformation occurs, then an outer transformation can occur. And so I think this is the gift that pain can bring us is that if we allow it, we have an opportunity to be transformed Mm -hmm. by pain. Right. So that's really what I mean when I say healing. Yeah, I
0: get it. And and I know just from my own past living through the death of my dad, which, you know, we expect our parents to go first, not our daughters to go first. Um, but even, even the growth and the purpose and the meaning I got for my life out of his death, like it wouldn't have come any other way.
1: Yes. And you know, uh, the philosopher Nietzsche, we've all heard this. He said, what doesn't kill us makes us stronger. Right. And so it's, it is possible to grow and suffer at the same
0: time. Yeah. Why don't you tell um, us? And, oh, I'm, I'm queen of interrupting today. I'm so sorry. Oh, no, <laughs> go ahead. Go ahead. Well, usually, uh, and I want to hear everything you have to say, but I just want to hear about some of the experiences that you had. What, after her death what made you kind of look into the world of the paranormal to see if there is any proof of life after death and what you discovered and if you could just go on with kind of what gave you hope in that realm and then we'll continue on with what else you've learned.
1: Yes well um, so I've spent nine years uh, of my life the last nine years studying mental health and psychology and in that time I really become a researcher and um, nine years of college can make anybody a skeptic. <laughs> so I always kind of considered myself a woman of science. Um, however, I think today I consider myself more of an open-minded skeptic. Um, so uh, so when my daughter uh, took her life, there were certain things that occurred that uh, my fiance and I witnessed an experienced that we could not explain. And so Um, Since your show's purpose is to explore life after death, um, I think your listeners might be interested in the paranormal activity that happened around the one-year anniversary of my daughter's death. Um, So three days after the one-year anniversary, I was sitting at my desk writing this book, and I hear a tap-tap-tap on my office window, and I look over to see a little bird staring at me through the glass. And it's kind of strange, but I dismissed it and went back to writing. And then a few minutes later, I hear another tap-tap-tap on the window. And I look over and it's a second bird staring in at me. And I just started to chuckle because I'd been writing about the guilt and overwhelming shame that I was feeling. Mm-hmm. And it was almost like they were trying to interrupt my thoughts and get my attention. And so I just kind of said out loud, okay, I'll stop wallowing in the guilt.
0: So you had the two birds um,
1: tapping on the window. Yeah. That's but, funny. You know, if you're skeptical, like I am, then birds, you know, are not going to convince you right. that that was any kind of after-death contact. Um but then some really unexplainable things began to happen. Um, the first thing was my sister had made a memorial tree at my daughter's memorial that everybody wrote a card uh, to my daughter saying kind of saying their goodbyes, and that tree sits in our living room, always reminding us of Mariah. Mm-hmm. Um, but the same night that the birds tapped on the window, I woke up between one and three o'clock somewhere in there. I don't I don't know why I woke up, and I heard a crash in the living room and my heart started beating because I thought, oh, my goodness, maybe we have an intruder. And the dog started barking like crazy um, because he'd been asleep right next to me. But for some reason, I can't explain. I didn't get up and investigate. I just went right back to sleep, which was really kind of bizarre. And in the morning, um, I remembered the crash. And I told my fiancé I'd heard a crash in the middle of the night. And her eyes got wide. And she said, uh, well, Mariah's memorial tree had been knocked over. Hmm. And you've got to understand that this tree weighs about four pounds. It's leaning against the wall. Um, it had never moved in a year that we had it, even when we bumped it. So that was just really peculiar. Um, and then some other things occurred. The next day, as my fiancee and I were talking about, you know, how this tree could have fallen, we were trying to find a logical explanation. And um, how, how living- big was the tree? Mm-hmm. Um, it was about. it's about four. Four feet, and it weighs about four pounds, and it, it has a nice, you know, base to it. And it was actually against a wall, kind of in the corner, sandwiched between a piece of furniture and the wall. And in the year we had it there, it had never
0: moved. Okay, so then that, okay, yeah. over. Okay, yeah,
1: yeah. So the next day, as we were talking about, you know, trying to find a logical explanation to all this, we're talking, and the living room TV turned on all by itself. And the controllers are sitting there right between us. And then the volume turned up as we're talking. And then I, I was just like, wow, this is kind of blowing my mind. And we're just staring at each other. And then um, I said, well, I need to just take a breather. It kind of freaked me out. So I actually uh, went to my desk just to kind of you know, get away from the craziness. And I said, kind of in my head, you know, maybe as a prayer or something, I just said, you know, if this is Mariah trying to somehow contact me or get my attention, then let the TV turn off, just, you know, let it turn off on its own. Um, and when I walked back in about a half hour later to talk to my fiance, she said the TV turned off on its own. That's wild. This was wild. Yeah. It started to get wild. Okay. So we're speaking, okay, you know, what's going on here? It wasn't until the next night when I was really convinced that we were having an after death visitation. Um, we were sound asleep, and again, around 1 to 2 o'clock, which I'm now kind of considering, I don't know, the spiritual zone somehow, I Uh woke up um, because there was a really loud disembodied knocking on my bedroom closet door. It was like somebody was knocking on the door, loud enough to wake me up. And I laid in bed frozen with my heart beating out of my chest. And as I looked into the kitchen, um, I could see into the kitchen, the lights in the kitchen went on and off, on and off, on and off about six times. Absolutely nobody in the kitchen or my closet. And so for me, when that happened, um, I was a believer in life after death contact. Um,
0: Yeah, it just doesn't happen that the tree gets knocked over, that the lights are going uh, on and off and there's knocking um the birds you go fifty-fifty that birds are tapping but who knows you just you, i mean who knows um but asking the her to turn off the tv and it goes off and and yeah. lights flicking on and off i mean it just seems like a lot of stuff in a concentrated amount of time
1: exactly and and you know you might be thinking maybe this lady's just hysterical with grief or it's exaggerating but um my fiance witnessed most of the normal activity um and you know she can verify it was real so these are just I, these aren't all of them i mean these are just some of the visitations that we've encountered there's there's much more in the book yeah
0: i mean we are all energy and as much as our i think we all have a skeptic mind first and foremost and we find things you know we're trying to find an explanation or we're trying to say well that's just a coincidence and and things like that <laughs> but when we really look to how we're all made up i mean we are all just bits of vibrating energy and whether it's sound waves or light waves or motion it's all energy and it and this Mm -hmm. is scientific stuff this isn't woo woo stuff and what Mm -hmm. there's Mm -hmm. so many people nina that have had kind Mm -hmm. of freaky experiences with lights and sound and radio waves Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. stuff and um and and so why can't invisible energy impact, you know, physical energy and turn on and off a light switch or or, or make do something like that, you know? Yes.
1: And I, and I don't believe that our loved ones make contact just to alarm us or, you know, just to contact us because they miss us or something. I really feel that for me, my daughter was trying to get me a message and, and to get my attention kind of like the birds. Okay. And I I feel the message was that um, she wanted me to forgive myself and the day I forgave myself was the day that I was released from a lot of self-imposed guilt and shame, and I also believe on that day that my daughter's spirit was released, and she was free to move on, and I believe that, you know, her and I had unfinished business, and that she stayed around, or at least came back to visit until I could let go of the blame that I'd taken on, and in my research on after death visitation, it's really common, actually, for suicide survivors to experience after death contacts, um, and I believe it's because oftentimes there's uh, unfinished business that the departed soul has to take care of.
0: Say, say what you mean about that. Departed soul has well, to take care of unfinished yeah, business.
1: Yeah. Well, especially yes, especially if they've left in, in such a way where they've left the family. Um, where it's impacted the family in a negative way. I mean, Mm -hmm. suicide has such a huge impact, not just on the immediate family, but on on friends and friends of friends. Um, As an example, I had one of her friends who really wasn't a close friend of hers, but when I talked with her about the suicide, what she said to me, she said, you know, ever since her suicide, I've been struggling with trusting people. And I said, well, why is that? And she said, because I really thought I knew her. She said, and and now I feel like I really can't trust anyone. And I think, um, you know, I've heard a lot of feedback like that from people that that a suicide can have just tremendous um, negative impact. And so I think when a soul departs in such a violent way and makes such a negative impact, that oftentimes the soul comes back and tries to uh, get their message across or make it right somehow.
0: Yeah, I know, Nina, I know people that have taken their own life after a child has taken theirs. I mean, the I can't mm-hmm. even begin to imagine how a parent would feel because, I, you know, I felt some guilt when my dad died, my grandmother died, and again, they were older, and you expect them to go first. But what I said, yeah. what I didn't say, what I did and what I didn't do, but from a parent's point of view, I can't even imagine the thoughts of, you know, what did I do wrong, or how did I raise this kid, or what did I, you know, all of that. Yes. So, how in the world were you able to let go of guilt? Now, I'm not saying you should be guilty, because right, right. I don't, I believe, I, with all, every ounce of me, that at every, any given time, we human beings do the best job we know to do in that moment, and that's how we operate. So, I think guilt, a lot of times, yes. if we knew to do something different, we would have. So, we can, let go of the guilt. The problem is it's easier to say let go of the guilt than actually letting go of the guilt. So how did you go about that?
1: Well, that's a wonderful question. Um, For the survivors, uh, the parents, uh, the spouses who are left to pick up the pieces, Mm -hmm. I think that we find ourselves confused. Um, I think suicide is a very confusing death. There's a lot of questions that we're left with. Um, Sometimes they're never answered. We're left with hurt. We're left angry. Um, and sometimes even our belief in a benevolent God can be shaken. Sure. And especially for parents, it it feels like the ultimate rejection. (laughs) And so survivors have a lot to deal with a tremendous load of guilt and shame. And there's a stigma attached to suicide. Um, you know, like if you were a better parent, this wouldn't have happened. Or if you would had a happier marriage, it wouldn't have happened. Um, Even research indicates that parents of children who commit suicide are often blamed by the family and friends. Now, the family and friends may not communicate that directly, but that's what research shows. Um, Or if I'd been a better brother or sister, this this wouldn't have happened. Mm -hmm. So there's a stigma attached to suicide. And in order to recover from that, I mean, I'm just going to speak from personal experience, that I had to let go of the guilt and blame and forgive myself. And the most difficult task a suicide survivor tackles is self-forgiveness. For me, to heal has meant to be able to live life free of the stigma of suicide. So to be free of the fear of being judged. Um, And freedom from that fear has been the healing for me. There's no... uh, There is a beauty, I think, that can come um, out of even the most tragic circumstances but I think that the message from my daughter very clearly to me and this is really what the book talks about is self-forgiveness how do we forgive ourselves after such a traumatic event and when there's so much stigma attached to it
0: when um how many do you have other children
1: I do I have two grown children two
0: grown children so when people ask you how many children you have what do you say? Uh-huh.
1: <laughs> that's always a difficult question. I figure um, I've had
0: people ask me that, that have lost yeah. children. And that's one of the hardest things to deal with because it's not only saying my child passed away, but if it gets into the suicide, like how do you say? I mean, so many people feel, yeah. unfortunately, they feel that guilt and they feel that shame and they just want to hide under the covers and not even be in public to avoid that. Yeah. Do you have any... Yeah coaching on how to proceed with life when those uncomfortable questions come
1: up right and they will and they, they will um, oh, they will there's even one friend that i've got uh, and i sandra and i still haven't told her i still don't know how to break the news because she as a mental health professional she's so looked up to me that i still <laughs> am trying to figure out a way you know before she sees the book to break it to her yeah because um you know, you just fall off a pedestal, especially if you're a mental health professional, yeah. you know. I think people have high expectations, higher expectations of us right. than an average person. Can I offer you something?
0: Sure. You literally tell her what you just told me and you just say whatever her name is. Yes. Can you just listen? I've got something to tell you. Yes. yes. And I don't know how to say this and I, you've always looked mm-hmm. up to me and this is something very hard to say because this is what I'm thinking you're thinking, but... yeah. Um yeah, exactly. You know, I, is it okay if I'm honest with you about something that happened in my life? And, of course, Nina, I I believe everybody loves you because you're just that type of person. And that, that oh, person will say, yeah. Because, I mean, we, any one of us always wants to look good and be our best and look like we have our act together. But I guarantee you that even by you doing that, we'll leave her the opportunity that I mean she might think so highly of you that she's ne- not confided in you or there might be some bond that comes out of it and it really is yeah. saying something as easy as and this is goes for all of us when we don't know what to say but just to say you know yeah. what I don't know how I'm going to say this but there's something I really want to say to you and most people are like right. you can tell me anything you know that sort of thing right, so right. maybe that helps that's wonderful advice doesn't. and you're
1: just yeah that's wonderful advice because you're just saying be real be honest and I guess that's the advice I have. That's the conclusion I've come to, is that I'm a more real, honest person today um, than I was before. I I kind of think of my life as um, before death and after death,
0: you know, it's sort of
1: these two people now that I kind of look at as me. And I think the other person um, before her death wasn't as willing to be as honest, um, and forthright with people. And today I've sort of found um, empowerment in that honesty. So when somebody asks me, you know, how many kids do you have? I mean, that's a very difficult question. I mean, I have three kids, right? One's just on the other side. Right. So um, that's how I answer it. I'll say I have two grown kids and I had a child who passed. Right. You know? And uh, that's just, you just have to be honest, like you said.
0: Yeah. And that stigma of suicide, you know, I don't, you know, there's mixed ways people view it. Some people are like, they took the easy way out. Um, I, You yeah. know, th- they go that, like, there's something wrong with suicide, okay? And, you know, I sit back, and unless you're in somebody's shoes, I mean, I've been in a ton of pain myself. I haven't crossed that line that I've thought about suicide, really, but to have compassion and go oh my gosh i mean to be at that level of pain where that's the only option Mm -hmm. you know i Mm -hmm. just i take the opposite side of the coin that i just i just have compassion because you you know we my mom and i had a friend that committed suicide not too long ago and we never saw it coming Mm -hmm. from this professional man never and so so many people are just like how could he have done that well (laughs) <laughs> if it was that easy for him not to make that choice, you know, he wouldn't have done it. So I really have compassion for you.
1: Well, thank you. And and I think, you know, the recent um, uh, death of Robin Williams is, yeah. is, a, is a good example of somebody who sort of had everything and had a family to love him, had fame and fortune. And at the same time was, um, had his own private battle with depression and he lost the battle. So this suicide is an incredibly prevalent problem in America. I've been online recently, Sandra, talking with teens and young adults who um, are depressed, and it's just blowing my mind how suicide to some of these young people is like um, sort of a glorified way out. I mean, for them, it's it's a viable option, and that's how they talk about it. It's like, well, I might, you know, tomorrow I might not go to school and just commit suicide. And so my goal at this point... Yeah, it's just blows my mind. So my goal, as I'm talking with these kids online, is not only to educate them, you know, um, in, in like what's going to happen perhaps on the other side because there is research that talks about, you know, folks who have committed suicide, what happens to them when they cross over. So to kind of give them that research information, but also to give them information about how it impacts the people who are left behind. And I think for young adults and teens that are depressed and considering suicide, this is something that they really think through. Right. Um, a lot of times these decisions are made last minute and they're impulse decisions. And so they're not thinking this through. And so one of my goals in talking with young people is to help them to take a little larger view of what happens then after you're gone, you know, both to yourself on the other side. What does the research show about that? And then know what happens
0: to the people left behind yeah and our any suicide at any age is a tough thing but a teen mind Mm -hmm. going through all the changes going through all the stuff we deal with with relationships and our looks and our friends and it's it's brutal enough you know I mean it's a hard hard mind to live in Um, Nina what Mm -hmm, have mm -hmm. you found through research happens after we die Mm -hmm. if we are if we are someone who committed suicide
1: Right. Well, that was the big question for me as a parent. I just needed to know. I needed to be, have some information. And so I began my own digging, my own research. And what the conclusion I've come to, um, after about a year of research is that people who commit suicide um, and crossover oftentimes aren't able to leave the despair and the pain they were in behind. Unfortunately, they take it with them. Um, and so they can't escape it. It goes with them. And not only does it go with them, but then they've compounded the problem because then they've you know, created this karma in other people's lives. And so what research indicates is not only do they um, take the pain that they were in, the emotional pain, the psychological pain, onto the other side with them, but then they have the karma, the compounded karma of um, those left behind and, and so there's never been a case of someone who um, tried to commit suicide and was pronounced dead and came back, whoever said, this is something you should do, this is a great way to go. I mean, every single in every single case, they've warned against it, and they said, this is not something you should do, you cannot escape your pain. Uh, you know, and there's been all kinds of life-after-death um, uh, stories uh, by these survivors, and, and they're they're not happy stories, you know, and they're having to uh, deal with the pain on the other side. So I really feel after doing as much research as I have that there's no escape. Yeah, I have a, so
0: somebody that I know yeah. that told me of a, a near death experience he had when he was a young mm-hmm. boy in a sledding accident, and he had mm-hmm. gone to the light felt like whether it's God, something like that, was looking down over his body, saw the resuscitation. But as an, a, a young adult, he uh, tried to commit suicide. And he said uh, he couldn't even speak mm-hmm. of it, how dark and how painful it was. Yeah. And he says, yeah I'd, yeah, I'd never be trying that again. But here's the question. Are, are they stuck in that turmoil and despair after crossing uh, over?
1: Right. That's what I wondered, too. I mean, no parent especially wants to think about their child being stuck in an eternal, you know. No. (laughs) no, An eternal dark place. I mean, it's just, you know, it's too much to bear to think of that. And so in in most um, recollections of those people who committed suicide and they came back to tell about it, um, they did have an encounter with beings um, or, you know, people that, you, you know, Christ or somebody that you might think is a religious figure, who came to them and said, this is not the way you want to die, um, you need to go back, you know. Um, or they were just, you know, they, they were sort of confronted um, and given a chance to do things over. Um, I mean, certainly we don't know what happens completely, because, you know, obviously that person's gone to the other side, but we know from the people who have come back that they said, there was always a being that intervened for them and, and that when they cried out for the light, that it came to them and that it rescued them.
0: Right. I, and
1: so I believe that grace is, you know, I think grace is underrated. I think there's a tremendous amount of grace for people who have uh, mental illness, you know, it's an illness. It's, you know, they're driven to it by an illness. It's not something that they can control. So right. And do I, don't, I think that, yeah, do I think that, you know, the creator um, could have mercy for that and grace for that? Absolutely, I do. I mean, yeah. if I can find grace and mercy in my heart, why couldn't the creator? That's how I look at it. Yeah,
0: and I look at it the same way, because it, if we're in such a dark place that that is our only choice, to be mm-hmm. eternally punished for that choice, I mean, that doesn't make sense. And I also doesn't make sense I saw, no. and I've, I've done a lot of the same research, and um, from what yeah. I gather, there you don't escape the pain that you're trying to escape by killing yourself. Mm -hmm. So I think if, if that message can get out that you're really not escaping now, is it forever? No, I don't think so. Um, I saw a medium uh, Maureen Hancock is her name. She's unbelievable, but I saw her perform. She's somebody that did a small gathering and she went about two hours after the thing was supposed to end because she mm-hmm. said there's still more messages to give. I mean, so she's the real deal. Mm-hmm. She's here in Massachusetts. Mm-hmm. And she mm-hmm. said to one family and she knew the kid's name. They, She knew he mm-hmm. wore a, a necklace, silver necklace with a cross on it and that he had uh, his left ear pierced and that he had a big spider web tattoo over his left shoulder. I mean, she was just like nailing it and she Mm. said he apologizes for and then she asked if it's okay you know what happened they said oh yeah he apologizes for taking his life but um, Grandma Rose or whoever it was was right there to meet him and she was always there and he had to learn um, but he's better now and he's happy and he's free Mm. and he's with you and Mm. it was such a Mm. unbelievably heartwarming thing to witness that you don't have to worry about him he's okay but uh, we can take the opportunity hopefully to heal and grow and work through these things while we're still on earth. Um, yeah, that I think would yeah. be a, a great gift for people yeah. to get.
1: Yeah. And, and I actually, um, I didn't mention this, but in the book it talks about it. We had, um, we had a medium that I, that I really trusted that both my daughter and I had been to before. She came in about a month after her death and did an intuitive reading and, um, it was really powerful for me. It was really healing just because uh, basically, you know, Mariah came through and what she had to say was, you know, the first thing she said was, Mom, I'm really sorry about the mess I created. Aww. I'm really uh, The mess I left behind is what she said. Mm-hmm. So there was, you know, definite remorse. There was definite responsibility for, you know, the choice she made. And then, you know, the the medium went on to say that, that she actually, you know, um, was with her father who had already passed on and you know that she was happy and she was fulfilled and um but that she was very very sorry about the way she she left yeah so there's great comfort in that for me
0: oh definitely definitely and I can understand and wh- I can understand why having the beliefs you do and the experiences that you mm-hmm. do and knowing Mariah is still around can help with mm-hmm. dealing with grief and certainly you know um, yes from being a therapist that there's a lot to grief. But I do think there to is. have the added bonus of the faith that your loved one is still yeah. around, it can make it just that much easier to go yeah. through the grieving process.
1: Right. Yeah, it does. And I think there's a, a couple factors, you know, that has helped me to heal. Okay. Um, social support is huge. So just being able to talk about it with people, um, your spirituality is important, um, getting some recreation and relaxation, um, exercise, just being grateful, just pondering, you know, all that we've learned despite the pain. Um, that's actually, you know, in psychology it's actually called reflected pondering where we try to come kind of to understand, you know, what we've learned from the trauma and then try to resolve those unresolved questions. Um, and then, you know, like we've been talking, seeing the pain As an opportunity for new possibilities and a renewed appreciation of life. Um, And for me, especially narrating my story and writing this book and my feelings, just externalizing the pain rather than suppressing it has been the most um, healing factor for me.
0: I've had a lot of people say that.
1: And I feel the
0: same way after dad's death, obviously, came all my grief research and my book and my, how to survive grief audio and all that. Mm-hmm. But I, I had uh, one person just say, and this was in reading my book, I, somewhere I say something like you can either be a victim mm-hmm. or you can use mm-hmm. what you've learned and make a difference for another. And there's something mm-hmm. about taking the avenue of sharing it and helping others that it, it really does make a difference. Cause our, you're gonna feel energy while grieving anyways and to stew upon something and be angry and I mean we can't help the tears because they happen but to you know like how the ladies created mothers against drunk driving I mean talk about funneling all the um, anger and grief into something and you doing the same thing so I really applaud you for what you've created and um, I, I wish you. we didn't have to wait till 2015.
1: Maybe your Kindle book will come out <laughs> first or something. Is that possible? Hey, that would be great. That but yeah, happen. you're what you're saying is that post-traumatic growth is when you take the trauma and instead of letting it sabotage you, which it can, right? Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. We just use it as a means of transforming our thinking and our relating to other people in the world. So the idea is that suffering can yield positive change. It doesn't have to be crippling. Yeah. What's the... Um, tell me... I,
0: see I told you about interrupting so (laughs) um no well it's funny because when I saw the title of your never enough book for Ah, addictions obsessive compulsive behaviors and eating disorders I'm like I'm gonna download Mm -hmm. that because that's the one thing I don't have handled in life I don't have a lot Ah. handled but there's a lot of overeating (laughs) and compulsive eating but what I'm why I'm bringing that up is our thoughts can be compulsive too I mean can Because once we start on the train of feeling guilt, um, would you say that the more guilty thoughts we think, the more guilty thoughts Mm -hmm. we'll continue to think?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And, um, you know, sort of um, whatever we focus on grows, right? Right. So if we're focused on the negative, we're going to continue to get more negative thoughts. That's just the way our mind works. So Um,
0: as somebody who may be grieving right now, um from what whatever kind of loss and the more you're thinking sad thoughts and the angry that you get and the more you're inside your house eating only ice cream or you know i I tell you what i didn't want to talk to anybody as much as it made a difference to be social it was like you know screw the world i want to be alone but the more of that that i did the more that i wanted to do And I know that's just a regular thing, but what can we do to break that cycle a little bit, Nina?
1: Right. Well, that's a great question. So um, I think externalizing the grief. um, The more we keep it close to our chest, um, I I think the uh, the more time it takes to heal. So if we can externalize it by writing, such as I did, or by journaling, or any other creative expression like art or music or dance, just, or even narrating your story and your feelings to somebody who will listen to you and saying it over and over and over again, just getting it out. It's like um, you know, getting the poison out of your system. I, I really think that's key to healing. Okay. That makes a
0: difference. Yeah. And, I, for- and the
1: more we can externalize it.
0: For our listener, too, today, I want to give anybody who's grieving that might want to take me up on this, um, myself and a woman Mm -hmm. named Angie Cartwright, who's actually the founder of National Grief Awareness Day, um, we -hmm. created a website called WeCareGriefSupport.com, and it's a paid Uh membership site, um, and in it, there's all kinds of Things and you've mentioned some of them some of the things we can do to move through pain, but if there's a listener here right now who mm-hmm. wants to be in it, I will give it to you for free just um oh, and oh, and Fantastic. I'm saying that yeah it's it's not about the money it's about there really are some good tools uh, to just help move you through so it's not a sales pitch by any means this truly is a is a gift but if you go to we don't die radio.com dot com mm-hmm. there's a button there that says contact Sandra and just send me an an email um and i'm i'll write you back with i need your first name though that's the only thing in your email address and i'd be okay. happy to put you in that okay. group
1: wow So that's fabulous. for any Thank of you. our
0: listeners just to support you because it is unbelievably hard and um yeah. to be part of yeah. a group and to have coaching or a counselor or some
1: kind of support yeah. makes such a difference so yeah and while we're on that topic, I just kind of want to give out, because I know some of the listeners um, today are teens and young adults, because I've invited them to listen. Aren't you wonderful? Um, the National, well, I'm trying. Yeah, um, The National Suicide Prevention Lifeline is something that they can call. It's free, and it's actually someone who cares. It's 800-273-TALK, or 8255, um, and the... uh, This is the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. They have information on um, also risk factors and warning signs and ways to cope with suicide loss. So if you're interested in kind of learning some um, skills and increasing your skills in this area, you can go to www.afsp.org, and I found that really helpful. What
0: does AFSP stand for so we make sure we get the letters Uh, right?
1: Sure. Yeah, A, American Foundation for Suicide Prevention, a f s p afsp.org
0: afsp.org and i'm on that we don't die radio.com nina i'm going to put your picture a little bio of you and i'm also going to put your website and also the um phone number you just gave and that website as well so for any of our thank you very much oh you're welcome what you're doing is so valuable because the problem one of the problems I found when I was dealing with grief is I didn't know what the heck was happening to me. I've always been happy-go-lucky Sandra, you know, I've got my good days and my bad days, Mm -hmm. but I hit a point of no return, just so dark and so depressed. And Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. I really thought something was wrong with me. And Mm -hmm. when I started doing the research as to what happens in a grieving mind and a depressed mind and Mm -hmm. all these things, and it's like, Oh my god, that's me. That's me. That's me. That's me. That's me. I have that too. Yeah. I have that too. And for some reason that's yeah. when we can realize that it's not our fault and for whatever yeah. reason whether you call it an illness or we have a change in the brain chemistry or whatever the heck causes it, it's not our fault. But there are things mm-hmm. we can do to make mm-hmm. it better and um it sounds like you're a proponent mm-hmm. also of making those changes and getting the support you need while we're here on planet earth.
1: Yeah. I think one of the things I would do differently, like if I had to go back and do it over this journey Mm -hmm. is that I would get a lot more support. Um, And, and again, it came back to me um, because of the stigma is why I didn't reach out more. And now I wish I really had, because what I found Sandra, and it just kind of blew my mind is that when I did tell people, I I never, I, I expect, I don't know what I expected, but People were compassionate. I mean, people have reached out to me, and it's, just, it's been amazing. And looking back, I wish I had, um, I had been more honest. I, I wish I had been more forthcoming with people. Um, and, and so I guess that's what I would suggest. I mean, suicide is such a huge problem. Yeah. I mean, it claims about 40,000 lives um, in the U.S. alone.
0: That's incredible. Um, with
1: someone dying by suicide every 13 minutes. So there's one million suicide attempts made every single day so that's about one every minute i didn't know that that's how prevalent it is it's actually the second cause of death for teens and young adults what's so um yeah i don't know oh you'll have to look (laughs) that up
0: you'll you'll need to know that for future interviews because people say what's the first
1: i i can give you a guess my hypothesis is it might be car accidents yeah yeah it could be it very well could be well Nina yeah. our
0: time is coming to an end. Is there anything mm-hmm. else you want to squeeze in, get in um share that'll make a difference or even you know you might have a thought of what life is for. Mm-hmm. Um if we don't die mm-hmm. if uh our loved ones are still around if there is a lot of pain here that we we learn from, do you have any anything that you live by about like what it's all about, like what's the point?
1: Yeah, I, I think the point um, for me is happiness. The Dalai Lama said the purpose of life is happiness. And when I say happiness, I think what it discovers, it doesn't mean um, material happiness. Um, I think the point of life is to get to the place where you love yourself and you're able to love other people, and that's happiness. So, um, and, and a lot, you know, when we're in pain like this, I think the thing that really um, shifts us out of the pain. It's starting to reach out, as I've said. So I just want to encourage listeners, you know, if they've been touched by suicide, um, to reach out, just to be honest and forthright with people. And I think what they're going to find is surprising. They're going to find
0: people reaching back. Well, the thing is, what I've realized... First of all, it feels so good to give. Anytime, and I think we all know this, anytime we have an opportunity to make somebody's day brighter, it feels mm-hmm. good. And so we're under the illusion that we're going to be bro- bothering somebody with our problems. And the thing is, is that people do like to give, and it, it actually makes them feel better. So you'd be doing somebody a disservice by not including them. Um, but, you know, I... Yes i tell you whether it's robin williams or me or you or anything anybody we all want to look good we want to look the best we can we mm-hmm. we don't want mm-hmm. people to know about our um the dark things that are yeah. going on inside of us but you know we all have right. them and that's what makes us human
1: mm-hmm. yeah really does yeah the one thing that binds us together is suffering <laughs> i mean that's the one human oh, experience that we all share isn't it it, it is sure suffering. is and yeah, and so I think when we begin to talk about our suffering and our pain, people can relate to us. I mean, we're much more relatable in that moment Oh yeah. Than, than we were in any other moment, and so that's been sort of the light bulb go on for me, is just be honest, just just begin to open up and share with people, and, and you know, you're more relatable that way. Right. Nina,
0: thank you again for being on our show today.
1: You're welcome. Thanks really? for having me.
0: Oh, of course. Um, so for our listener, thank you for being here, and who we've just talked to is the magnificent Nina Bingham and Nina's website is www.living-enlightened.com she's also got a blog which is www.ninabingham it's bingham with h a m.blogspot.com and again i'll put your websites up nina on my website we don't die radio.com and and i want to remind our listener to this get some support um or give some support as well. And I do have that uh, We Care Grief Support site. So just send me an email. And I'm happy to include you in, in that. And what else do I want to say? I think in closing, um, you know, I. I conclude every episode with i believe that life is an education for the soul and that our life here on earth is important but let's look for opportunities to give and make a difference and if you are somebody struggling with anything right now it doesn't have to be depression or thoughts of suicide just whatever that is you're struggling with Do yourself a favor and another person a favor by giving them the opportunity to listen, the opportunity to maybe give you some advice or to just share in your misery. Sometimes, you know, just a couple people crying together, it makes a difference. But I tell you, when, when two people come together and can share about something, it makes it so much easier. And, you know, I've heard the expression, the worst place to be is in your own head you know sometimes that is a dark place but when we can get into communication with somebody else it makes our life a little bit better so this is sandra champlain i thank you from the bottom of my heart for taking your precious time today to be listening to we don't die radio and i do hope this show has made a difference for you and thanks again to miss nina bingham and we'll talk to you all soon thanks have a great day